This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Find Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible, and uh, if you want to, but also we're going to spend most of our time today in Genesis, but we are, for our guests, we are in a series this summer called A Heroic Summer, and we're going through Hebrews chapter 11, which is God's Hall of Faith, and we're looking at the heroic faith of so many different people this summer. Uh, So I hope you'll take down some notes and absorb some things this morning that God challenges all of us about our faith. Uh, Let me just say thank you to everyone who has sent cards and brought food over to our home this week um, as we... uh, as we uh, dealt with uh, the loss of Gail's mom and all the things that went along with that and funeral and so forth. So thank you for, um, for being there with us and, and loving us like you did uh, this past week with uh, especially the, the, the groups, connection groups that, that uh, just kind of responded so uh, generously in that. Thank you very much. Hebrews 11, 11. Last week was Abraham. Today we're going to focus a little bit on Sarah. And it says, by faith, Sarah, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Sarah, and her name is going to be changed, and we'll see that in Genesis in just a moment, originally known as Sarai, was the wife of Abraham, who was chosen and called by God, as we saw last Sunday, to take his wife and move from their home in, Me- in the Mesopotamian city of Ur, near modern day, uh, in a modern day Iraq, uh, near, uh, near Babylon in that area. Leave there and, as God would say, go to a place that I'm going to show you. And just one day, heard from God and went to his wife and said, honey, pack up the bags. Uh, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're moving. Haven't got a clue where we're going. I've moved a bunch of times in my life. Haven't moved in quite a while, but prior to that, moved a whole lot of times. And here's one secret for those of you moving that I've discovered. The best place to get boxes, free boxes, is the liquor store. <laughs> and you don't have to buy anything to get the boxes. You just ask them. They have great boxes in the liquor store. Sarah, go to the liquor store and get a bunch of boxes because we're, uh, we're moving. I don't know where we're going. Now, let me speak to the husbands here for just a moment. Fellas, um, if you want to instill confidence and security in your wife, that's probably not the best thing to tell her. We're moving, but I don't know where. Don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. Especially when you say to her, God told us to move, and she responds with, okay, Abram, which God? Because they were polytheistic. They had many gods. They had not yet discovered the one true God, even though he spoke and called them to go. They did not yet really become believers until soon after this, I would guess. But they said, okay, God told us to go. Which God? We don't even know. But put yourself, wives, in that position. By the way, Not only did he say we're moving, but he had this other bit of information, news from God for her, and that was that we're going to have a son, you and me. We're going to have a son, and from that son, nations are going to be created, and the whole world, God says, will be blessed because of our son. And 
wives, you're 65 years old and childless when he tells you this news. How do you respond to that? Verse 11 that we just read says, her story and its outcome, that God's promise came true, demonstrates her faith. Now, as I asked last one, last Sunday, um, Tom two weeks ago spoke about Noah, and last Sunday I was with Abraham. Let me, you know, do you think Sarah's faith was perfect? Anybody? No, I don't. No, we're going to see that it certainly was not. Did she ever, if you know her story, did she ever make a poor decision or two? So I hope in the next few minutes we can ask some questions. Okay, how is she like me? And then how can I be like her in some things? Because Sarah believed God was faithful. We're told she gave birth to a son well past her childbearing years. She and Abraham believed God would do what he said he would do, and it wasn't always easy for them to believe. But in the end, God honored them for their faith. Looking at their lives, as, as I've been doing in, in preparing last week and this week and looking at Sarah and Abraham, it, it kind of causes me to search my own heart and ask myself, okay, Rick, how will I respond when God calls me to step out in faith and follow him blindly? to where I don't know where I'm going. Just follow him. How will I respond? Can I wait on God's timing in my life for his promises to show up? Am I able to trust Almighty God for the impossible in my life? Those are some questions that ought to come from this story for us. If you're taking notes, the first point this morning is it is easy to misapply promises in the Bible out of their context. It's easy to take God's promises out of their context in the scripture and misapply them. It's important, we talked about this the first Sunday in this, in this series, it's important to remember that when we speak of God's promises, we are not speaking of those things that we might imagine God has said for us and to us. It's not about our imagination. We're speaking about the things God has said in his word, if there are promises for us that include us. But not all the promises in the Bible include us. God has not promised any of us, for example, that dream job. God has not promised any of us who are getting closer and closer to those days, that dream retirement. But he has promised some things like, I'll meet your every need, has he not? He has promised, I'll give you your daily bread. He has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has promised us everlasting life if we've believed in his son. So those are things that we can count on that he's promised. And certainly there are more than that. But when we take a promise out of its context, that would be like reading God's promise to Sarah and Abraham, misapplying it to ourselves and trusting God for a child when this promise was not meant for us. It was meant for them. It would be like us saying, and that land is mine. It's not. It was theirs and their descendants, Israel. See, what happens when we take a promise out of its context? And by context, what do you mean, Rick? I mean here that to whom was it written? Not all the promises in God, in the word of God, are written to all of us. They're not. But when we take them out of their context and think they're written to us when they're not, one thing that happens is we become disappointed when God doesn't do what we think he promised. We become just, God, you let me down. And God's thinking, 
No. The second point follows that, and the problem, the problem does not lie with God. The problem lies with our misunderstanding of how to apply his promises. So, I know none of you watch these guys, but when some TV preacher reads a verse or two out of context and then stands there in front of the camera and says, so what that means is if you'll plant some seeds, they like to use that terminology, plant some seeds, and you know what plant some seeds really means. If you'll send some money to me. Have you heard them say that? Seed faith, they call it. Plant some seeds, send it in to me. Here's my encouragement or my instruction to you. Turn the TV off. Right? Many Christians, for example, claim that if we have faith in God, he's promised to heal us from all our diseases. Now, if you take that idea and follow it to its logical conclusion, I think God created us with brains to think. Do you not agree with me? If we follow that to its logical conclusion, if you get terminally ill, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but this disease that you have, you're not going to survive it. You're going to die. You are terminally ill, and they may even give you weeks or months, something like that. If you are terminally ill, it must mean some of these preachers and some so forth will tell you, you must not have enough faith to be healed. Now, let me tell you something. That's not only theologically wrong and biblically wrong, it's cruel. Because people that I know, good, fine Christian people who get terminally ill, to say to them, oh, you, your faith is not strong enough is a horrible thing to tell someone. You see, God hasn't promised to everyone he's going to heal them of their diseases. Then think, again, logically think about that with me for a moment. How does that work? Because if God heals everybody of their terminal diseases, how do we die? You know, unless there's an accident or something like that, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's not true. At the same time, you and I would be wrong not to trust God to do far beyond our human abilities. Some of you here are survivors of cancer, are you not? Raise your hand if you have survived. Look, don't be embarrassed about it. Raise your hand, all right? Some of you have, all right? It would be wrong to us not to trust God to do far beyond our human abilities. But all of you who raised your hands, let me say to you, he never promised he would do that for you. He didn't. Faith believes that nothing is impossible, however, with God. Is it okay to believe that God can heal me? Absolutely. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Paul wrote, he's able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And what that tells me and what that tells you is this. Get this. God can do anything he pleases that doesn't violate his character. In other words, he's not going to sin. Okay? God can do anything he pleases that doesn't take him out of the realm of holiness. So if it's a question of our faith being big enough, well, your faith's just not big enough. Then what that, who does that put the pressure on to get healed and so forth? Get what we, that puts the pressure not on God. It puts the pressure on who? On me. It's, what's wrong is I'm just not believing hard enough. Sarah and Abraham are going to show us that's 
not how it works. Here's the deal. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in God who is faithful. That's the lesson today. Faith is not in me, not myself. It's not in faith. We just have more faith in faith. It's faith in a faithful God. God's promises, and here's the deal when he promises something, and this story tells us so well, often requires our patience. Now, that's a bad word in most of our vocabularies, is it not? Uh, You know, most of us would say, if there's one thing I could use more of, it's patience. Don't say that. When we say that to God, God, I need need more patience. They'll say, okay. You know, with the advancements uh, in technology that we have these days, we've become so more impatient in a society than ever before. I'm driving down the road. The speed limit sign says I can go 50 miles per hour. In my car, my truck, I know it can go 50. It can go past that if I want it to. I know it can go 50 without any problem at all, but the traffic ahead of me, and if you drive down yesterday or get out on that road yesterday, oh my goodness, the traffic ahead of me is stopped. Can I go 50 miles an hour? No, I have to be what? Patient. And now we have apps and links for everything. Let me speak. Young people, hang in here with me. The old timers will be able to relate to what I'm about to say. We used to have to wait until the evening news or the evening newspaper was delivered to get the news. How many of you remember that, you know? We didn't know what happened in the world until 6 o'clock or until the paper boy threw the 4 o'clock paper on our doorstep. We had no clue. And the world still went on without us knowing. Isn't that amazing? We didn't need any breaking news. By the way, and I'm a Facebook guy, probably more than I should be, but whenever you see those memes pop up and say, breaking news, man, get rid of that, because probably it's a lie. That's what I've discovered. Don't share any of that breaking news with me. We don't have to wait anymore. Gail and I, the other day, were out of town and eating in a restaurant, and instead of the waitress bringing us our check in one of those little folders, you know, as they usually do those little things, and you stick your card in there, she, she didn't bring us our, our check like that. She set, she set a tablet on our table, and I thought, man, we must be like customer number 100,000, winner, winner, chicken dinner, we get a free iPad. But as I looked on the screen, I realized it had my bill there on the screen and and a place for me to insert my card and then a question for me, do I want to add a gratuity to this and so forth and so forth, click here and it's done. Even spit out a receipt. You know, with, with, with my card, I could pay for my meal and gratuity in seconds. But, but I'll be honest with you, for most people, it would be seconds. It took me a bit longer. I looked at it. Why, we want everything right away, don't we? She didn't have to come back and bring me change or anything like that. Wait for a I signed on the, on the deal. We expect everything right away. We want everything now. Have you been to one of those, and I think they're great, those, you know, those 10-minute oil change places? Remember, you know those? 
You've been to those, and it takes them 15 minutes. Man, the time when you get up in your chair, man, what in the world could be taking so long? We want it all right now. That's how we are. Patience is not built in us in our culture. Sometimes God comes through and his promises right away. Sometimes we pray and boom, it happens, doesn't it? But that's rare. I found that's not usually the case. Here's why. Faith is like a muscle. And in order for a muscle to be be built up, it has to be exercised. It has to be pushed a little bit every time to a little bit more and a little bit more. That's how we build muscle. That's how we build our table muscle, guys. And we just eat more and more every single time, you know. Faith is like a muscle, and the way faith is strengthened, that's why I said when you say, God, give me more faith, how does God strengthen our faith? He does it through trials and tribulations, and that's by teaching us patience. Read James 1, 2, and 3 with me. It's up on the screen. Let's read it aloud. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, Whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Whenever you experience trials, don't cry about them. Say, this is great. My car broke down in the middle of the highway. Yes. God, you've got something good for me. But that's what it says. Is it not? Consider it what? Joy, great joy. As time went on, God continued to remind Abraham of his promise to him. But sometimes, listen here, sometimes it took years between reassurances. God said it here, and sometimes it's years before God reminds him. So I want you to turn back with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 13 and read quite a bit from the book of Genesis and their story, Sarah and Abraham. First point or maybe not the first point, maybe the second point. I don't, I don't have them numbered. Consistent faith requires focus. Focus. Genesis 13, verse 14. After Lot separated from him. Lot is Abraham's nephew. By the way, he's not supposed to be there with Abraham. We talked about this last week. He's there because Abraham was disobedient. He's there because one of the things I've discovered about Abraham in his story is Abraham is an enabler. Any enablers here today? He's an enabler. He allows people in his life to do things that are not correct because he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, because he thinks that's how we shall love. Lot separated from him. He went off to another place. And the Lord, once Lot separated from him, please get this, the Lord then spoke to him again and said, Abram, look from the place where you are. Look north, look south, look east and west. I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. It could have been if he just said like the dust on your furniture, you know. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and through its width, for I will give it to you. 
Couldn't say that thing to, God didn't say that thing to Abraham, however, until Lot, who was a distraction, was moved out of his life. Lot had to leave. He was there to distract Abraham because Abraham allowed him to be there. Lot represents, by the way, this is another sermon else time, another time. Lot represents the world in this story. The world with all of its distractions, the world that pulls us and gets our focus off of faith and gets us onto the things that we can see only with our physical eyes. If you know Lot's story, you know that was his downfall. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, and every night from his tent, he and his wife looked out and saw the lights of the city and all the people living in those nice homes in the city with all their friends and all the social activity. And that's where his focus was on the world. And that was his downfall. When we allow distractions and even welcome the world into our lives, we can look at the world for our guidance and not to the Lord through faith. Listen, especially young people, listen to me. Nothing is more damaging to your faith than adopting the world's values and system. Nothing. We'll see this in the story. And unless someone has a consistent walk with the Lord, unless you're consistently spending time with him in prayer, in the word, and with God's people, because that's where our values ought to come from, you're going to be caught up by the world. Lot, by the way, Lot was not called and chosen by God. Abraham was, and he's told to leave Lot behind. Lot was attracted by wealth and luxury. He was a distraction. A tent was no home for Lot. And Abraham lived his whole life in a tent. Once he was gone, once Lot's out of the picture, God then reiterates his promise to Abraham. He could then refocus on what God had said. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these events, the the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Again, Abram, God speaks to Abram, this time in a vision. And he says to him, do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield. A shield is there for my protection. I am your shield. I'm going to guard your heart. Your reward, Abram, will be very great. It's been 10 years now since they left their home. 10 years since God promised them a son. And now Sarah, Sarah was 65 initially when the promise came. Now she's 75. She's far past the woman's physical ability to conceive and bear children. So can you understand why there's some doubts going on here in their minds and their hearts? Ten years. Chapter 2, excuse me, verse 2 in chapter 15. So God says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Abram says, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? Read between the lines here. Abram is saying to God, God, you've you failed. <laughs> Your promise hasn't come through because you promised that Sarah and I would have a baby, and it's not. What can you do now? What's the alternative, essentially? The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram continued. He kept on talking. He said, Look, you've given me no offspring. God. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. So God says, okay, let's, say, let's go over this again. This one, Eliezer, will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And God took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. 
if you're able to count them. And he said to him, God said to Abram, your offspring will be that numerous. Clicked in Abram's heart and in his mind because the next verse says he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, credited Abram's belief to him as righteousness. He also said to him, the Lord said to him, I am Yahweh. Your Bible may say the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's our English translator's way of simply translating God's name, Yahweh. Same name when Moses said to the burning bush, and who do I say to Pharaoh has sent me? And he said, I am that I am. And he said, Yahweh. I am Yahweh who brought you from, the, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, when we talk about the world, I talked a few moments ago about the world and, and getting caught up in its system. In ancient times, a man who had no son could adopt a favored servant as heir to his possessions. Just going to do what the world says to do. Abram, man, you, no baby, go ahead and do this. That's what everybody else does. And God assured him that his heir was not his servant Eliezer. That's not what God had promised. But at this age that he and Sarah were, this is what made sense to him. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Abram's wife Sarah had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, look, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. All right, now, remember, Abram just a few moments ago was saying, God, you failed me. Sarah is essentially blaming God that she still is. It's God. It's God's fault. All God's fault. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. They've been 20 years now since the promise. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. Again, What's the world say in ancient times? A man who had no son, not only could he adopt a favored servant, but in ancient times, you could take a slave girl and make her a second wife. Didn't work out well. Ishmael wasn't the son that God promised. God promised all the descendants of your son will be as the star, and and the world be blessed by your descendants. He's speaking about Jesus. The blessing. Suddenly there were, can I say it this way? Suddenly in Abram's tent, there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Hagar, she gets pregnant. And, uh, you know, she's kind of rubbing, giving it to Sarah. Ha, ha, ha. You know, she disdained Sarah and had a bad attitude towards towards Sarah. And so Sarah acted like we do, and she mistreated Hagar, so much that Hagar ran away. And Sarah, did you read this? Sarah blames Abraham for it all. But it's your fault, even though it was her plan. That's Sarah. God had changed Abram's name. We'll see that in a moment to, in which Abram meant exalted father. 
He's going to change it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And Sarai, he changes her name to Sarah, which means princess. That's my daughter, Sarah, anytime. What does your name mean? She knows. She's glad to tell you. Princess. The original name, father, exalted father, that was tough enough since he wasn't a father, but the second name seems even, golly, that's hard to bear. And the promise in Genesis 17, verses 5 and 6 makes it clear. Look there with me. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. So God says, and here's the promise again. In case you've forgotten, I'm still on this, Abraham. haven't forgotten. Verse 15 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name, and I will bless her indeed. I will give, her a, give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down, which is a position of worship. But then the thought hits him again, and he laughed and said to himself, how can a child be born to a hundred-year-old woman? I never heard of that before. And don't we so often, with things that we read in the Word and promises that God made, we say, but I've never seen that happen ever before, as though our experience validates whatever must happen. Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham says, come on, God, just allow Ishmael, his son through Hagar, if Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no, let me say it to you again. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. And as for Ishmael, your son through Hagar, I know you love him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders, and I will make him into a great nation. Uh, they are the Arab people, Ishmael's descendants. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. All right, now we're getting close. God's actually set a time on it next year. Year And when he finished talking with him, he, God withdrew from Abraham. God withdrew from him, meaning, all right, no more conversation. I've said all I need to say. Abraham, you're back to faith. You're back to patience. You're back to waiting. You're back to believing. But the wait's going to be shorter. And one year later, God says, Sarah will become pregnant and have a child. Then God did something that he only did a few times in all the Old Testament. Jesus the second person of the Trinity, not known as Jesus here. He's not known as Jesus until he's born in Bethlehem. But Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is eternal, appears in human form. And he's identified here three times in verses 10 to 14 as, quote, unquote, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Christ here. For us translating the Hebrew Yahweh or Jehovah. We refer to these rare appearances as the theological terms are theophanies, appearance of God, or Christophany, appearance of Christ. 
Look with me, chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. And he looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and he bowed to the ground. And then he said, my Lord, this is not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's just little letters, small caps, small letters. My Lord, meaning sir, if I found favor in your sight, please note, do not go on past your servant. Don't just keep on going. He's getting ready to practice their custom of hospitality to travelers. What's getting ready to happen here? Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a bit of bread so you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you've passed your servant's way, and later you can continue on. Why don't you stop here and rest a little bit, cool off. I'll, I'll bring you something to eat. Well, yes, they replied. Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quick, quick. Need three measures of fine flour and make bread. Make some bread, Sarah. Meanwhile, Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf, and he gave it to a young man who hurried in to prepare it. And then Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. And he served them as they ate under the tree. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked. She's there in the tent, he answered. And the Lord, now revealed as who he is, the L-O-R-D capitals, the appearance of Christ. He said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. And now Sarah was at the entrance of the tent behind him. She's at the door of the tent, listening to the conversation. Not that any of us would ever do that. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. Here's what's her thought. After I have become shriveled up, and my Lord, speaking of Abraham, my Lord is old, will I have delight? Oh, really? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? We think sometimes God doesn't know what we're thinking. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Great question. At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I didn't laugh. <laughs> you ever try to tell God that you didn't do something that you did? doesn't work. And she said that because she was afraid, but the Lord replied, and she's still in the tent, I think, and the Lord replied and said, yes, you did. Then what happens? Chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, advance, go ahead a year, came to Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, 
And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram. Abraham in his old age at the appointed time, God had told him, God finally told him a time and it happened. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, making Sarah 90. And Sarah said, birth of a child, she's got a baby, 100-year-old woman holding this baby. And Sarah laughed, or Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Everyone who hears this 90-year-old woman had a baby, they're going to laugh with me, celebrate. She also said, who would have told Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have born a son for him in his old age. Promise came true, didn't it? Right when God said it would. By the way, I told you that Hebrew names have meaning. Abraham, we know what his name meant. Exalted father, father of many nations. Sarah meant princess. Do you know what Isaac means? The name Isaac means Laughter. Isn't that a great name? She laughed when God said she's going to have, oh, she's in her tent laughing, and now she had, gives birth and she's laughing again with joy and celebrating. His name means laughter. First Sunday of our series, I told you a story about George Mueller. I'd like to end this morning with one more George Mueller story, if you'll allow me. George Mueller. Bristol, England, exemplified the, the nitty-gritty of a life of faith. Uh, he had a wild youth. So does wild oats. Caused his dad a lot of heartburn, most likely. But he was converted in his early 20s, became a Christian. And he obeyed God's call by living a life of faith and obedience. And he lived in such a way you read his story and stories about him. He lived in such a way that the world just, wow, the world couldn't grasp it. What do you mean? Well, he and his wife sold all of their earthly possessions. They sold everything they owned. They took the money and they founded an orphanage and they lived by faith alone. No marketing, no these things that we do on social media to, to raise money, none of that kind of thing. They just went to God with their needs and God alone. And God provided. They often faced insurmountable problems that were overcome by faith in God's power. Well, in 1877, he's taking a trip to North America from England. He's on board a ship that was stalled off of the coast of Newfoundland in dense fog. The captain of the ship had been on the bridge for 24 hours watching and waiting for the fog to lift so they could progress, and Mueller came to see him. Went up on the bridge, and Mueller told the captain, listen, I have to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon, all right? It's getting close. And the captain replied, ain't going to happen. He said, it's impossible. No way. Very well, said Mueller, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. See, I've never broken an engagement for 52 years. Let's go down to the chart room. Let's go below to the chart room and pray. 
captain, you know, he's thinking, what kind of crazy man is this? Mr. Mueller, he said, do you, look, do you know how dense the fog is? And Mueller said, no, please get this. He said, no, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. So they down in the chart room, Mueller kneels down and he prays a very simple prayer, probably something like, God, got to do something with this fog, please. When he had finished praying, the captain was about to pray, but Mueller put his hand on his shoulder and said, no, you don't need to pray. First of all, you don't believe that God will do anything about it. And second, I believe he already has. So there's no need whatever for you to pray about it. And the captain again looks at Mueller. <laughs> this guy is nutso. Captain, he continued, I have known my Lord for 52 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, captain, and open the door and you will find the fog is gone. Can you hear the twilight music beginning to play? <laughs> what do you think happened? Captain walked across to the door and opened it, and the fog had lifted. Hear, hear this. I'll finish with this. Sarah sometimes had trouble with faith because all she could see was the fog. For her, the fog was her age. Impossible. God's promise was impossible as far as she could see, but God's promises aren't fulfilled. Hang on to this. God's promises are not fulfilled because our faith is either strong or perfect. God's promises are filled because of his, faith, his faithfulness to us. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. Bow, for, bow with me in prayer, please. And Father, your faithfulness is greater than we could ever imagine. You have never failed a promise. You have never told a lie. You have never let anybody down. Ever. Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes we misapply. Oftentimes we look to the world and try to come up with our own answers for the problems in our lives, for the fog that's there, and we think we can find the solution, and it just doesn't work because we didn't patiently wait for yours. So help us, God, to learn from Sarah today. The answer is not Hagar. The answer is not Eliezer. The answer is your promise. The answer is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.